The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I want to, uh, to get into the Word this morning, excited to do that. Excited and, and really motivated because of change and shift. There was a bit of a change in what I felt in my heart to bring this morning, and I, I like that. Like, there's an element of, of, you know, where you're thinking, well, I hope, I'm, I hope I'm dialed in. I hope I'm hearing that clearly. But then that's normally overcome with, with the idea that if we can get in what God's doing, it's going to work, you know. So I, I have a, a message here that I want to bring, and it is completely reworked. I mean, it's, 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 it's been renovated uh, during praise and worship. So we'll see, we'll see where we're going with this, but I'm excited for it. If you're taking notes, I want to give you a few things to look forward to. Now, I always recommend taking notes. Obviously, if, if you don't have the uh, materials to take notes, uh, no problem. Uh, if you... Uh, uh, are able to take some notes. It's good to write some things down. Gives you a point of contact. Lets you revisit those things in your own time, and uh, God speak to you personally and individually. Uh, I, I recommend that if you're taking notes, you can write these things down. They're simply things to look for in the message. Uh, things that that stood out, and uh, I want to emphasize. It's by no means the the only things that will stand out or need uh, emphasis, but but there are a few things. Uh, one, we're going to find what time it is. What, what time it is, and, uh, and that's an important thing to know. Another thing that we're going to find is what mercy does. What mercy does. And then a third thing we're going to find, why Jesus came for us. Now, we've used that one before because there's a lot of scriptures that reveal why Jesus came for one reason or another, every one of those reasons being extremely valid. But we're going to see a reason here why, why Jesus came for us. So, as we get into the Word, I want to move rather quickly. Uh, I want to cover the ground that we need to cover without uh, extending the, the length of time. So I want to move a little bit uh, uh, quick this morning. I want to jump right into what time it is. Now, as we get to this passage of Scripture, uh, I want you to, to get to a state of mind, uh, of, and I want you to think about the current state of things in the world. Current state of things in the culture, current state of things in this country, I want you to consider that. If you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn to Jude, the book of Jude. So if you're looking for an actual, you know, verse address, it's going to be Jude, you know, chapter 1. You'll see why chapter 1 is kind of redundant. Jude chapter 1, I want to look at verses 18 through 22. Jude is a, a very short uh, book in the scripture, a very short book in the Bible, but it contains this information about uh, what the scripture refers to as the end times or the last days. Now, I want to read this passage of scripture, and I'd like for you to take this passage of scripture and reconcile it with the days that we live in. When I say reconcile, I mean compare it to. Just compare it to the days we live in and ask yourself, does that sound like a description of the days we live in today? So the book of Jude, beginning in verse 18 Here's how it reads. In the last time, there will be mockers. They will follow after their own ungodly lusts. These are ones that will cause division. They will be worldly-minded, 
and they will be devoid of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so when I consider the days today, whether it's, you know, the media, the things I hear in the news, it seems to me that Christianity has become the punchline to a joke to a lot of the popular culture today. Uh, it's become seen as something that is outdated, something that is uh, even racist, something that is, is unfruitful or unproductive and just basically a waste of time. But what we see here in the scripture is, in short, it's labeled as mockers. And the reason why? Because they follow after their own desires or their own lusts. What do they do? Well, they cause divisions. I see divisions everywhere I look today. It seems like everything is a point of division. Every single topic, every issue, it becomes a divisive thing. Worldly-minded. Worldly-minded basically meaning not heavenly-minded, not led by God, but rather led by the carnality of men. Devoid of the Spirit, not inspired by holiness or the Holy Ghost. When I look at that list there, I, I see a description of the culture that we, we live in today, the culture that we're surrounded by. Now then, as you continue to read in this passage of Scripture, you see these two powerful words, but you... Okay, I'm going to ask you, we're a small group, so it might feel a little odd, but I want to stay engaged. Will you just say, but you? But you. Okay, yeah, so this is talking about you now. We, we've talked about the culture. This is the culture. The culture is these things. The culture is not being led by the Holy Spirit. The culture is being led by their own lust. The culture is divisive. Uh, the, the culture is, is uh, mocking the things of God. But you... And now we ought to pay attention because what follows is going to be instruction for or a description of our lives. But you, beloved, build yourselves up in the most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously or anticipating is a better word there, anticipating the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ even unto eternal life, and have mercy on some who are doubting. So I read this passage of Scripture, and I see now the call on my life. I see what my life should look like, and I see what I should be doing. I'm meant to be pursuing these things in prayer. I mean, that's one of the instructions there, to build myself in, up in the faith through, through prayer in the Holy Spirit, keeping myself in the love of God and anticipating the mercy of Jesus Christ. This passage of Scripture has the opportunity to have a profound effect on our prayer life, that we could introduce into our prayer life, Father, let me be completely aware of your love for me. Let me be built up in your love, and let me be anticipating in every situation and in every circumstance mercy. I mean, you know what it means to anticipate, right? If I were to call in a, let me just speak, uh, maybe it might be a love language for some here. Let's talk pizza, okay? So if I were to call in a pizza and just say, hey, I need this pizza and I need it delivered and here's how I'd like it and, and I'm going to go ahead and pay over the phone, then I would sit and I would anticipate a knock at the door, right? I mean, anticipation means there's an expectation that this is coming. For believers, we're called to anticipate God's mercy. Now, this is a challenge for me because sometimes I'll deal with things and, and there'll be, you know, fear of failure or fear of loss or, or devastation. And those are the things that will wage war against anticipating God's mercy, that God would arrive, that God would deliver, that God would make provision. Do you see what's going on here? 
And the believer is called to be built up in prayer, founded upon the love of God. Why should we anticipate anything good from God? Because He loves you. He's always loved you and He'll never stop loving you. So you are entitled as a believer to anticipate mercy. To expect it. It's what sets us apart from the world. The world that's filled with mocking. The world that's filled with ungodly lust. The world that's filled with divisions and worldly mindedness. The world that's devoid of the Spirit. What sets me apart from them? I know God loves me and I anticipate that He's going to do good things for me. I'm going to anticipate His mercy in my marriage. I'm going to anticipate His mercy with my children. I'm going to anticipate His mercy in ministry. I'm going to anticipate His mercy in business. I'm going to anticipate... His mercy. I'm going to expect it. I want to to talk about mercy this morning because I think it's something we need. And as we talk about mercy, I want you to catch that, that last verse there when we were in Jude reading. I believe it would be verse 22. It's a real interesting passage of Scripture, and, and it's freestanding. You know, sometimes a, a verse will be quoted and you'll quote the first half or, or the last half. Even sometimes if you, you look at a scripture and you see it printed, you know, it'll have the verse address and then it'll have A or it'll have B. Meaning that it's not the whole verse, but it's part of the verse. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I just want to emphasize that this is the whole verse. Look at Jude verse 22. Have mercy on those who are doubting. What a great instruction. What a great instruction. If I could take that and apply it to my life, I would save myself a lot of grief. I would help a lot of the people around me. I would understand their need better, and I would begin to uh, function and operate in such a way that was productive rather than counterproductive. If I could have mercy on those who were doubting around me, I wouldn't be impatient. I wouldn't get frustrated. I wouldn't get angry. I wouldn't be a, a, a jerk. It's not really a Hebrew word or a biblical word, but come on, let's just go with it. I would be like Jesus. Jesus who could look at those who were doubting and be merciful to them. I've told this story a couple of times, and I want to tell it now. It's not a long story or anything, but I remember having the opportunity to minister with a man that is very dear to me, dear to this congregation, and hopefully he'll be able to return, an evangelist who resides in Australia, Nigel McNeil, you, you guys know Nigel. Nigel is a, a wonderful part of my life, my family's life. And, and Nigel gave me the opportunity. I was with him in, I believe it was Indiana. We were, he was ministering at a church, and, and I was there to be a, a part of the service, just to, to, to be present for the service, not to participate in anything. And I'd asked him some questions about ministry when he was laying hands on people, and, and there were really wonderful, powerful signs and wonders and great things I asked him a question that I think maybe most people want to ask, but maybe don't get the opportunity to. I just asked, what's that like? How does that work? You know? And he said something to me. He said, hey, why don't you walk the altar with me tonight after, after we're done delivering the word? Just, just you know, walk with me and, and just observe. And so I, I did. It was a really great opportunity. And there were hundreds of people in this service, and, and the majority of them came forward It was a building that was bigger than this building, but imagine if an altar call were given 
And, and there were, you know, seven rows of people across the entire front of, of the, the building. There's a lot of people. And he's laying hands on them, and I'm just walking with him. There's such a wonderful anointing there at, at, at the altar. I can't help but weep. And you're seeing people be ministered to. Some are, are receiving great things from God. There are signs. There's wonders. It was a really great time. And, and as the, the crowd grew smaller and smaller because people were, were returning to their seats after receiving, uh, we, we were coming toward the end of that time of ministry, and there was an individual who had been standing there, had been standing there for a long time. And they were, he was there to receive ministry. It was a man. And as he stood there, he, he stood and, and waited. And when, when Nigel had come toward him, he, he asked him something. He said, uh, you know, what do you need? It's a great question to ask, you know, like, why, why are you here? What are you needing from God? And the guy told him he, he was dealing with an issue. It was a health issue. And, uh, and Nigel said, well, let's, let's, let's believe God for, for healing there, you know. And he began to, to minister to the guy. And as he began to pray, the man who was there for the healing said, wait, 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 wait. It's kind of a bizarre thing to say, you know, wait, 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 wait. And so Nigel stopped, you know, he was about to, to get into the prayer and he just stopped and he said, what is it? And the guy said, it's really hard for me to believe that this is real. What an honest thing to say. Now, I grew up in church circles where you would have had ushers come and get that man and pull him aside and, and, and with good intentions think they were ministering to talk about, well, you need to have faith. If you don't have faith, you shouldn't expect to. This guy just said, hey, this is really hard for me to believe. And I'll never forget Nigel's response to him. I was getting ready to hear Nigel give him all the reasons why he needed to believe or else it wouldn't work. And, and instead, he just looked at him and he said, I know, mate, it's hard, right? And then he laid hands on him and boom, the guy hit the floor. <laughs> I know, mate, it's hard, right? It is cool. I look at that and it makes sense to me when I see, have mercy on some who are doubting. Don't make burdens for them, but help them out of their doubt. It's hard for me to believe that this is real. I know, mate, it's hard, right? And then let God do the talking. Because he's really, really good at that. And I think I could have lectured that guy and he would have left more beat down, more confused. But let God touch him. And that man gets up believing. And, and he did. So I look at this passage of scripture and I see something. This is a call on my life. I need to be merciful to those who are doubting. And this is every aspect of my life. I mean, it touches my life with my wife, my life with my sons, my life with the congregation. When we're facing and dealing with things that are, have us concerned or have us fearful or worryful or, or, or doubting in any way, shape, or form, I have a call to bring the mercy that's needed to that situation. And you have that call as well. It's a wonderful thing to consider. So, I mean, when I consider what that means, then what is mercy? I want to give you a few passages of Scripture. We're going to move through some of these really quickly. I think it's important to understand that God is merciful. I mean, one of the reasons why we're called to, to be merciful is because we're called to be like God. Here's a passage of scripture uh, from the Psalms, 145, verse 8. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great in loving kindness. So when I read this passage of scripture, I can just camp out on that God is merciful. 
But then I see a description of what that means. And when I take a description of what that means, I have to ask myself, does that describe me? Preston, is Preston gracious and merciful? Well, what's that mean? Well, is he slow to anger? Uh-oh. I'm getting looks from the front row here as my wife is looking at me. I'm just messing around. Gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great in loving kindness. If I want to be merciful, if I have a call on my life to be merciful, it's going to require my life to be slow to anger and rich in loving kindness. Slow to anger and rich in loving kindness. So I say this a lot, and I mean it when I say it. It's not just kind of a a, a habitual uh, speak. It, It really is something, I mean, that should affect our prayer life. God, I want to be slow to anger, and I want to be rich in loving kindness. Why? So that I can be merciful. So that I can introduce mercy into the situations where there's doubt. Where people are having a hard time trusting and believing that you're going to show up. Where they're having a hard time anticipating Jesus bringing deliverance to a situation. I want to be able to bring that mercy. I want to have mercy on those who are doubting. I want to be slow to anger. I don't want people to just tick me off. I want to see every one of those as an opportunity for me to bring the mercy that you have anointed me and blessed me to bring into that situation for the purpose of Jesus being exalted and your name being magnified. That's what I want. We have a call in our lives to be merciful. Uh, Jesus said this in Luke 6, 36. He said, be merciful just as your father is merciful. I mean, what a great instruction. You can't say it any more plainly or simple. He's saying, be just like God. Be merciful just like God is merciful. I mean, for me, I could just sit and and let that one statement uh, take the rest of our time contemplating what that means. It's unconditional. It's constant. It's all the time. It's not just on good days when I feel like it or when enough things are going right for me to not be a total jerk. It's all the time. My world could be completely upside down. Everything could be seemingly going wrong for me, but I'm still called to be merciful. Do you know how many times I have been uh, irritable or, or unmerciful or just an outright jerk, and I have given this excuse, well, I've had a really hard day. Like that entitles me to be a punk. Well, things didn't go right. You know what that means? That means my mercy is conditional. It means I'll be merciful when things are going right. I'll be merciful when everything's going my way, when everything went exactly as planned. When it's, when, when it's easy for me to be merciful, I'll be merciful. But if I have a bad day, look out. That's not God. That's not God. We're called to be just like Him. Where no matter what our circumstances are, no matter how we perceive them, we are constant, we are consistent, we are carriers of heavenly mercy that responds to and ministers to doubt. I mentioned before we're going to find what mercy does. I want to give you a passage of scripture and I'm going to ask you to kind of read between the lines with me a little bit. Let me give you this passage here from James. James chapter 2, I want to look at verse 13. James 2, 13. It reads like this, For judgment will be merciless to the one who has uh, shown no mercy. Judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. Now here's the rest of the verse. Mercy triumphs 
over judgment. So if somebody were to ask me, well, Preston, what does mercy do? I'd give them the back half of that passage from James. Preston, what does mercy do? Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. If I've judged a situation a failure, if I've judged a situation a loss, mercy can come in and flip the script. If I look at it and think, well, we're doomed, if I look at it and think it's hopeless, if all of a sudden things that are, are devastating, destructive, and, and are, are separating and divisive begin to enter in, things of the world begin to enter in, mercy can turn that around. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Judgment that would lead to condemnation. Praise God for the mercy that we receive through the blood of Jesus. Now let that be something that has freely been given to us so that we can go freely give. Now I'll never shed my blood on the cross like Jesus did. That was once for all. So then how am I supposed to go and give mercy? I give mercy through my attitudes, my actions, my words, my deeds so that I can be just like him. Mercy that will triumph over judgment. Judgment that will condemn. Judgment that will divide. Judgment that will bring about destruction. And it's a wonderful thing to consider that everyone needs mercy. It's, it's not like it's a, a small club. It's absolutely everyone. Let me give you a passage of scripture, Romans eleven thirty two. It says, God has shut up everyone in disobedience. Uh, that just means that when the law came in, it revealed that every single person has need for deliverance from judgment. Everybody sinned. Everyone needs mercy. God has shut up everyone in disobedience so that he may show mercy to all. You know, every time you see in the scripture, so that, what you're revealing or what's being revealed, what's being shown to us is, is the, the reason. God did this and here's why. Every single person has fallen into sin so that God will show mercy to all, so that he may show mercy to all, so that he can reveal who he is to every single person, that he's gracious, compassionate, that he's loving, that he's merciful, slow to anger. I want to give you a, a, a passage of scripture here that's going to reveal what causes mercy, because now we're all aware, I need mercy. If I have a call on my life to, to bring mercy into situations where there's doubt, where there's fear, or where there's anxiety, if that's the call on my life, then I need to find the source of mercy. I need to find where I can access mercy and where I can have mercy not just be something that I experience on occasion, but something that I have access to and am able to produce and release in every situation and in every circumstance. Where does mercy come from? What causes it? I want to give you a passage of scripture here from Ephesians. Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5. Now I want to read it, and then like we do on occasion, I want to, to, to break it down just a bit. Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 4. God being rich in mercy, because of his great love which, with which he loves us, even when we were dead in our sin, made us alive together with Christ. What a great passage of scripture. It's inspirational to know that even when we didn't deserve it, God gave us everything. He made us alive with Jesus. But I want to look at the first part of this, and I want to emphasize a couple of things. God being rich in mercy. 
because of his great love with which he loved us, or loves us, excuse me. What I want to do is emphasize what's being said there. God's being identified, and then he's being described. We're talking about God. There's the identification. Now, being rich in mercy is the description. Why does he have this description? What causes this description? Well, when you see the word because, you're seeing the cause. Because of his love. Mercy comes from love. It's the result of love. If I'm called to bring mercy into situations where there's doubt, if I'm called to bring mercy into situations where there's anxiety, if I'm called to be a carrier or a catalyst for mercy, there needs to be the motivational force of love in order for that mercy to flow. Now, this becomes something that's very revealing, where there's an absence of mercy, where there is anger, where there is aggression, where there is frustration, where there is all of these things, you have to ask yourself, where is the love? Not for the purpose of beating ourselves up, but for the purpose of revealing what we need to access in that situation. When I find that I'm not being merciful to my wife, I'm not being motivated by the love that I swore to have for her. I'm being motivated by something else. Perhaps something that would be mocking following after my own lust, maybe something that would cause divisions, maybe something that would even be worldly-minded, and I guarantee you something that would be devoid of the Spirit. I would be operating outside of my call to be godly. Love. That ought to influence our prayer life. Father, let your love be the foundation of my actions so that I might be merciful. Let me be aware of love and let love flow through me. Let me be a catalyst for your love. Let my thoughts be founded upon your love. Let my words reveal your love. Let my actions uh, bring your love into existence in this world so that mercy might prevail and bring about its wonderful work, delivering from doubt. I want to look at what God's mercy brings into our lives. I want to give you a passage of scripture here from the book of Titus. Titus chapter 3, I want to look at verse 5. We have no problem understanding that God has brought his mercy into our lives through Jesus. I mean, we understand the need for deliverance from sin, for, for forgiveness, and we see this as a merciful act. It, it's, it's not difficult for us to wrap our minds around that this is a gift, that it's not deserved, but rather God has, or it's not earned rather, but rather God has made this uh, come into existence out of his mercy for us. So here's what results from God's mercy being brought into our lives. Titus 3, 5. He saved us. Now it's referring to God. God saved us not on the basis of our deeds, which we've done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. So now here's what we see coming into our lives from God's mercy. By the washing of regeneration and by the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Those two things. Being born again, being immersed in the Spirit of God, these are the results of God's mercy in our lives. Once again, this is part of our, our prayer life and part of our identification as the saints, as, as believers, that God would make us new. I mean, I've been born again, that I've been, he would empower me with the Holy Ghost, 
so that I can do the things that he's called me to do, so that I can be just like Jesus, just as I've been called to do, so that I can do the things that are pleasing to him, just as I've been called to do. All of these things are the result of God's mercy. I mean, I want to give you a passage from 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, probably going to be verse 3. It reads like this, Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again into the living hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It goes on to talk about how through this we obtain an inheritance. Once again, mercy is the catalyst for all of these things. Mercy results in identity. I can tell you when I look at our culture today, I look at a culture that is struggling for identity. When I look and I see the mocking, when I look and I see chasing after ungodly lust, when I look and I see the divisions and the worldly mindedness, when I look and I see all the words, attitudes, and actions that are devoid of the Spirit, I see a group of people that are so desperate and starved for identity that they'll put on the greatest freak show ever just to feel like they're included. They desire identity. They're hungry for identity. I want to give you this from the Scripture because I believe it wholeheartedly. Mercy results in identity. Mercy results in identity. Let me give you this passage of Scripture from 1 Peter. 1 Peter 2.10. 1 Peter 2.10. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Do you see the difference between not being the people of God and being the people of God? Between having no identity and having the ultimate identity? The difference is receiving mercy. You weren't a people. Now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy. Now you have. Mercy results in identity. When I can bring mercy into my marriage, my wife has the identity of, of, of being my spouse, being my lover, being my helpmate, being the woman that God designed her to be as my wife. When she brings mercy into our marriage, my identity as her husband is magnified. When I bring mercy into the lives of my sons, they begin to see that I'm their father, that they're my children. Their identity is affirmed. Mercy results and identity. It makes me want to seek mercy so that I might walk in the identity that I've been called to walk in as a child of God. I want to, to wind down. and As I do that, I, I want to, to mention a couple of things. Uh, we could have spent a, a lot of time and, and introduced some academic measures to the message this morning. I don't want to skip those academic measures. I just want to acknowledge them or, or highlight them. Uh, did you ever have an assignment in school to read a book and, and maybe you didn't read the whole book, you know, but you kind of got the point? Well, I, I want to touch on that. We're not going to, to change the point or alter anything but I want to give you a passage of scripture for your notes that you're welcome to visit in your own time from the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 25. Now in Exodus chapter 25, you have a description of the Ark of the Covenant. 
The Ark of the Covenant, the, the, the box that was built by God's instruction in, a, in very specific ways for very specific pers- uh, purposes, excuse me, to carry uh, elements that, that magnified and revealed the covenant that God has made with his people. And when the Ark of the Covenant is being built, it's capped with something. You have the very covenant of God being stored in a box and God instructs that something be made and constructed in order to sit on top of these things and it's called the mercy seat. The mercy seat. I want to read to you from Exodus 25. Uh, It's somewhere around verse 17 in the the 20s or something like that. I want to read these passages to you. It's the instruction. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark. The ark is... Uh, you shall put the, the testimony inside of it, which I will give to you. Now hear this. It's there that I will meet with you. And it's from the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are on the Ark of the Testimony, the Ark of the Covenant, that I will speak to you about all that I will give you commandment. God is revealing the place where he will meet the place where he will instruct, the place where he will guide, the place where he will introduce his wisdom into your life. And that place is the mercy seat. I want to give you a passage of scripture from Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Hebrews 4, 16 Uh, Many of us have have quoted part of this passage before about approaching the throne of grace with boldness, right? I want you to catch what's being spoken here. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Now then, here we see these words. These words are special to me, and I want them to be special to you. So that. The reason why we should be drawn near to the throne of grace with confidence is so that we can have this in our lives. The result of this this movement toward God's throne, toward that mercy seat, should result in the following. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. That that passage of Scripture reveals a number of things to me, and and we are short on time, but I want to emphasize something specific. I need a lot of help. I have a lot of times of need. I mean, if I just had time of need highlighted in my Bible, I could relate to that. I, I could think, you know, I can think of a dozen things right now that I could describe as a time of need. And so what brings help into that time of need? Well, grace. And where does that grace come from? Well, mercy. Where does that mercy come from? Well, it comes from the throne of God, the mercy seat. That's where I need to go. I've got times of need that need God's grace for help. I need to get the mercy that he's brought into my life, so I approach the mercy seat. And for us, it's no longer a golden box with a sculpture on top, it's not that physical thing. Rather, it is, it is in the, the temple of the Most High God, which is your heart, where Jesus is enthroned. I love children's ministry. That's a weird thing to say in the middle of the message. But here's what I know about children's ministry. It makes you keep things simple. And I've heard something said before, and I'm sure a great person made this saying, and I'm going to butcher it. I don't know who to give credit to. But basically, 
what the statement was, if you can't make complicated things simple, you really don't understand them. Children's ministry will make you make complicated things simple. And when you think about how we introduce uh, Christianity into the lives of children, about inviting Jesus into your heart, well, I'm pretty confident that Jesus is probably about 5'6 to 5'8, and he's not going to fit inside your chest cavity. What you're talking about here is inviting Jesus and his spirit to be on the throne of your heart, meaning leading and guiding your choices, your decisions, your attitudes, your actions, and that that throne won't be shared with another, but him and him alone. That's being a believer, baby. That's what it's all about. That Jesus would be on his throne, that mercy seat, so that we could approach, receive the mercy that results in the grace that helps in our time of need. Praise God. I mentioned to you we're going to find why Jesus came for us in the first place. Now, anytime that you hear us, I think it's important to emphasize us because we are the congregation. But you know there's no us without you. There's no us without the individual. So I want you to think of this as being written specifically to you. The reason why Jesus came on your behalf. I'll give it to you from Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 2. I want to look at verses 14 through 18. It reads like this. Jesus rendered powerless him who had the power of death. That is the devil that he might free those who through fear were subject to slavery all their lives. He had to be made like his brethren in all things. That means he came, he emptied himself, became uh, just like you, just like me. And then we see those words again, so that. He had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in all things. That he might... Offer himself in our place or make propitiation is what the word says there. That's what it means to offer in your place for the sins of the people. And since he himself was tempted in all which he suffered, he's able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. I mean, this passage of scripture is one that I want to to close with for this purpose. I want to begin to see as the foundation of the motivation for Jesus' coming, ministering, being anywhere close to my life and participating in any way, shape, or form in anything good that's ever taken place in my life is all so that he could be merciful. That I might become one who would participate in, one who might partake in, one who might be exposed to the mercy of God that I might have an example of what mercy looks like so that I might then go and be merciful, so that I might be in a position to understand that which I've been called to produce, that which is motivated by love, that which brings into existence all that's necessary to lift out of fear and doubt and anxiety, the mercy that God's called us to walk in, the mercy that he's called us to reciprocate, to mirror to not only receive, but to produce. And the mercy that results in the identity that the world is in such desperate need of. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning.
when we get into the Word, it's not simply an academic exercise. I mean, the Word's been given to us as the, the power of God to, to be revealed and released and, and, and set to, to work in our hearts and our minds to bring change and transformation. I mean, when I make comments like, like this ought to have an effect on our prayer life, what I'm wanting to do is say this ought to be something that we pursue. Not just something that we, we gain a, a new understanding on or our Bible IQ goes up a few points. Maybe we memorize a new scripture or, or find a touch of inspiration in a situation. Rather, we're meant to be different, new, every time we engage in the Word. I want to prioritize mercy in my life, whether it's in my life of prayer, whether it's in my attitudes, in my actions. I would like for mercy to be at the foundation of the things that I do, the words that I speak, the attitudes that I have, my body language, my facial expressions, every part of my being. I want to see mercy as the powerful thing that it is. I want to see that it's why Jesus came, so that he could reveal mercy to me. Not just so that I might have what I need, but so that I could produce what I've been called to produce. That I could go and freely give as it was freely given. I want to pray this morning and I want to ask God to do a work in our lives. That he would touch our hearts, that he would renew our minds, that mercy would begin to be seen in a very biblical and powerful light. For many of us, it, it, it's, it's not been something that's been missing, but rather it's something that's simply being highlighted this morning. For some of us, it's something that we've not tasted before, and we know when we hear this word that it's something that we need. No matter where we're at in that, God's present to magnify his mercy so that we might be his people, walking in our identity, that we might be those who can be merciful to those who are suffering doubt, those who are in the world having an identity crisis, we wouldn't see them as our enemies. Rather, we would see them as those that we're called to minister to through mercy. There where you stand, I want to pray. I want to ask God to do a great work on all of our behalfs right here, right now. Father, we bless your name. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that you have brought into our lives that sanctifies us, that sets us apart from the world. We ask in Jesus' name that this would not simply be something that we might take and receive and, and bury deep down in our hearts, but let it be cherished and cultivated. Let it, let it multiply within us and be productive. Let there be a hunger and an appetite ignited in us to pursue your mercy, that we might know your mercy in greater, deeper ways for the purpose of being inspired to release your mercy in our words and our actions. Let us be a merciful people. As you have so richly blessed us with your mercy, let it flow from our lives that we might release your mercy into situations of doubt where those are in fear and panic. Let your mercy flow from our lives, our example, our words, our attitudes, every aspect of our being, and let it be deliverance in the situation that would draw those who are in doubt to you and let our identity be stirred within us. That we are now a people, all because we have received your mercy. We give you thanks, Father, for the wonderful things that you brought into our lives. And we know the foundation of your love revealed to us in Jesus is the catalyst for all. 
Let your love stir within us. Wash over us with a new and greater awareness of your love. Let there even be a physical, tangible awareness of your loving kindness in our lives for the purpose of drawing us out of situations where we've grown stale. And let that fire of your love be kindled inside of us. That we wouldn't see ourselves in any inferior light, but that we would begin to see ourselves as your mercy released into this world to tear down the works of Satan, to establish your kingdom. We give you thanks, Father. Let our minds be given to receive your word. Let our hearts be softened to be affected by your word. And let our lives be devoted to living out your word with all of our actions, all of our words, all of our thoughts. Let them bring you honor and glory. We bless your name and we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. Let your mercy be magnified in us and through us to your glory. In the name of Jesus and all the saints declared, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.